the game. You don't play to just play. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Can't wait! Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Coffee and Sports. It is the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. Mo, you wanted music. I got music, sir. Music! <laughs> Thank you for watching us, however it is that you're watching us this morning, whether you on, you are on YouTube or Facebook, or maybe you are over on Roku watching us live on Roku TV, thanks to Northeast Streaming Sports. However it is that you are joining us, we are happy that you are here. I am Chris, and of course, that is Mo. Mo, how are you this morning, sir? Doing great on a hump day Wednesday. Uh, appreciate everybody that's listening to us live. Appreciate the people who will listen to us later. Mo, what do you think it's like to enjoy coffee and sports at like 11 o'clock at night? I, I, th I think it's a great way to end your evening. If you're really into sports and you're a fanatic, like I'm sure the both of us are, why not? If exactly. I, I let, let me let me get up in my bed, throw up my laptop, or, or turn to Roku TV and catch up with what the guys said this morning. That's all I'm saying. Well, let's start with this. Uh, it, it's not often in the world of sports you you find a, a touching story that someone doesn't try to ruin, and I'm sure someone's going to try to ruin this touching story. But it really struck me uh, when I was prepping for the show last night, and I'll, I'll be honest, not a lot of things strike me about the Las Vegas Raiders. But as you know, the Las Vegas Raiders fired their head coach and they're paying a bunch of, uh, not a bunch, two coaches, uh, a lot of millions of dollars to not coach their team anymore. So there's a bunch of jokes you can make about the Raiders. But this is something that I thought was really, really cool. And that is that current head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, Antonio Pierce. He is making it so that the practice squad players are coming to the actual games. So for those of you who don't know, the practice squad is one of those thankless jobs in the NFL. Um, every now and then you see guys call up from the practice squad to dress for game day, usually for depth purposes. They don't make a ton of money. Um, it's one of those prove, prove it kind of things. And every now and then someone gets a break and they, they make an impact and they stick around for a little bit. But 90 plus percent of the time, the practice squad is just a thankless job. And it's guys who are trying to, trying to stay close to the dream and trying to get in there as, as long and often as they can. And most times it, it doesn't work out for them. And Mo Anthony Pierce looked at it and said, listen, I've been playing football a long time, middle school, high school, college, pros. And to me, if you're part of the team, you're part of the damn team. They work with us I during the that. week. They practice with us during the week. They're part of our game preparation. They are a part of everything that we do in preparation for game day. Why shouldn't they be there on game day? And when he says it like that, it makes a lot of sense. Now I know I now I saw some comments around social media and you know things like, well, if they were good enough to be on the team, they'll be there for game day. And I look at that, and I'm kind of like, okay, like. I understand they're not good enough to make the team, but it doesn't mean they're not part of the team. And I think that's what Anthony Pierce was trying to say. Not necessarily they should be starters on the team, Mo, but they're part of the process. And anyone who is part of the process and part of the team deserves to be there supporting the team on game day. What do you think? Uh, I love what Coach Pierce did 
he's letting those practice squad guys know, hey, you are part of the team. You're invested in this. I, I love that. That's a bonding thing. It's also a motivating thing, right? They're not good enough to be part of the regular uh, 53-man rotation now, but that doesn't mean that one of them can't break through. It's not an impossibility. So I like the fact that Coach Pierce said, if you're part of this team, I want you on the sidelines. You need to feel and go through everything everybody else on the team is going through and stay ready. Even if you're not playing, stay on the ready. I love that. I love the message that he's sending. And, Mo, we talk all the time how mental professional sports are. And some would argue that football is maybe more of a mental thing, a mental sport than other sports. Sure. And when, when it comes to the mental side of it, I would argue any edge that your players could have in the mental capacity could benefit you down the road. And if that mental edge is your practice squad guys are, are a little more motivated or they're going to put in a little more work. And I, I get it. I get it. Cause people are going to say, well, Chris, if they're not, if they're on the practice squad and they're not motivated to play in the league, then <laughs> right. what are they? I, I get right. that. All right. I understand that they all, they're all motivated. They all want to play in the league, but I'm talking that little extra oomph. And if that little extra oomph comes from them being on the sidelines and feeling like they're more part of the team, then that's only going to benefit the Raiders. Because even if they don't make the team, even if they don't turn into a starter for the Raiders, maybe they practice that much harder during practice. I haven't been around all 32 teams. I don't know what everyone's practice squad looks like. But I would imagine, Mo, there's probably some guys dogging it out there some days because the practice squad life isn't the easiest life to live. So I would imagine that you're going to have moments where guys are given maybe 80% and not 100% out there because they're having a day where they're like, I'm not going to make it in the NFL. I'm going to be a practice squad guy all my life. And maybe this takes away some of those days. I don't know. Or Mo, maybe it's just a goddamn good feel good story for a Wednesday morning. But either way, I'm all for it. Don't don't take for the people that disagree. Don't take shine off a good story. It's just right. a good story. And it's a good moment. Look, Maybe some of these guys never make it up into the roster and get to play a down in the NFL. But let them have this moment. Let their families see them dressed up and on the sidelines. I love that. Let them have this moment. It's just a great moment. Don't 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 make too much out of it. You know, Mo, for, for those guys that, like you said, don't get called up and don't actually get to start or even play a down in the NFL, when they look back at their NFL career, they were at a Raiders game dressed on the sideline and maybe they're not dressed i don't know if they're fully dressed in uniform or not but they were still there that's part of their story now right. right like when they tell their nfl story if they're talking to a bunch of their practice squad buddies they have an experience that some of their other friends didn't have that's a unique experience that the raiders had given them and well let's be honest <clears throat> the raiders don't do many things right if if you, if you made a list of the things the raiders do correctly and the things the raiders do incorrectly this side is much, much, much longer. So good for the Raiders for getting something on the correct side I'm of the list. You. I'm with you. It's nice for a change, right? It's a good change of pace for the Raiders. It is. It is. All right, Mo, we're going to take our first quick break here. When we come back, we are going to have Will here on the show to break down some NBA stuff. Mo, you know how you know players have highlight film, right? Sure. Well, one of the biggest stars in the NBA has some highlight film that his team sent into the league, but it might not be for the reason that you're thinking. And we're going to get to that on the other side of the break. Stick with us here. Coffee and sports. It's the morning show on Sports Empire Network. Hey, y'all. I'm Keith. And I'm Jory. And tune in to Hoop Dreams and Touchdown Queens every Saturday at 5 p.m. over on Sports Empire Network. 
And don't forget, also watch us on Roku TV at Northeast Streaming Productions. Uh, so tune in. Welcome back. It is Coffee and Sports. It is the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. And we are joined now by our NBA expert, William. How are you this morning, What's sir? Up, Will? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. I do appreciate it, guys. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great sir. Will. Thanks for being on, Will. I, I wanted to start with this. Uh, we, sure. we we know that every every player, whether you're you're talented in middle, even if you're not talented, if you think you're talented in middle school, you are talented in high school, you are talented in college. Everyone's got a, a mixtape of their greatest hits, right? Well, this week the Los Angeles Lakers sent a mixtape of no calls to the league. They felt that LeBron was absolutely assaulted during the game against the Miami Heat. And not only did they feel that way, they felt the need to put together a video package and then fire it off to the NBA to show them how poor the officiating was against LeBron James during the Miami Heat game. And I will tell you there that clearly, if, if you go back, if you watch the game or if you go back and watch the highlights, yes, there were a couple things where you're like, oh, he didn't get that call. That's surprising. Usually LeBron gets that call. I admit there were some of those. Did I think we needed a whole mixtape to show how poorly the game was officiated? I don't know. Well, what do you think? What do you think the Lakers are trying to accomplish by firing off a mixtape for a superstar who nine times out of 10 gets calls that I would argue other guys don't get unless your name is Steph Curry or someone else of that ilk. Or Luca. Or Luca. So I agree. I agree. What are we, what's, what's the mixtape going to do, Will? This is ridiculous. This is just, and I bet you the Lakers probably did it on LeBron's behalf. Um, LeBron wanted this to go out there. This is ridiculous. Y'all need to stop. This man is a superstar. He's going to get calls that you normally wouldn't get anyway. Stop it. Just stop, stop it. This is LeBron James we're talking about. He's supposed to be the, in some people's eyes, the possibly the face of the league and the greatest player of all time. He doesn't need to go to this, to, to this type of links to prove a point. The Lakers don't need to do this to prove a point. He's going to get calls. Ruchihar Moore wouldn't get. He's going to get calls yeah. that no one else would get on that team. He needs to stop. This is ridiculous. Mo, is this a situation, and obviously you don't have the insider knowledge unless you're hanging out with LeBron and not telling me, but is this a situation <laughs> where LeBron, you That's think, was the driving, it. right? Is LeBron <laughs> the driving force behind this, or is this the Lakers trying to somehow appease their superstar in a situation where I don't think they need to appease him? I, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both. I think I think he felt that there were some calls that he should have gotten that he didn't get, probably went to the locker room very upset. Talked to Rob, the front office, and they went out there and they did something to appease him. Uh, you know, the funny thing was when this broke, the first thing I thought of is Pat Riley has a real strong le level of petty in him. And I, I was actually surprised that Pat Riley didn't submit a videotape of how many calls Jimmy Butler didn't get or Bam out of bio game. Because Pat, Pat Riley would do something like that. I'm actually shocked that he didn't. Just wait. The uh, the LeBron flop highlight reel from the Heat is coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, trick YouTube. There's plenty of videos out there of LeBron flopping. Plenty of them. Gentlemen, we are uh, we are well underway into the uh, the NBA in season tournament. Uh, it is all decked out with fancy courts and fancy uniforms, and some of the uh, some of the games are louder 
Uh, if you're watching it because of what we have as far as the paint schemes going on for the courts. Uh, Mo, let me start with you. Has the in-season tournament done anything for you as a NBA fan thus far? No, I, I, I'm enjoying it the same way I would enjoy any other regular season. I mean, other than the decor, right? Other than the decor, it, they're just still games, right? And they're still competing, but I don't think they're competing any harder. The games have been entertaining for the most part, but it hasn't changed anything for me. I, I think the the drama is looking at the new all the different courts, right, and the different uniforms. But other than that, the gameplay has been entertaining, and as a fan, that's all you can really ask for. Well, as it goes on and we get deeper into the in-season tournament and we get closer to a team winning this whole thing, are we going to see a more competitive side on the court, do you think? Or are they just going to look at this like, hey, this is a Thursday night game in Cleveland. We're <laughs> not going to do anything crazy. <laughs> if we win the trophy, great. If not, like it is what it is. Like the NBA obviously want that they did this because they want the regular season to mean more. They yes. want people to play their stars. Yes. The regular season. They want more drama and meaningful games in the regular season. Is that going to be the end result here? And don't forget, too, these guys get money. Yes. Because how far you go, these guys get paid. I think the eventual winner of it, each player, whatever team wins, I think each player gets 500000 so they, they do have money on the line on this. And Mo is correct. This is just regular season games that's going through until you get to the final game. Um, but I like it. It brings some um it brings something to the regular season that makes it a little bit more special than it's going through a mundane regular season. Um, so I I like that fact. Um, and because there's something to play for, guys who normally wouldn't be up for the regular season or just going through the motions might be motivated by playing in the in-season tournament to, to look their best and go out to perform their best. So you might get somebody, let's say like a Pat Bear, for example, who to me is still the world's most terrible offensive player ever. He might be hyped up to go out there and get you hey, a few extra points a game, you know, but because of the money aspect toward the end. So, um, I think it's great. I think it's great for the players, but most of all, I think it's great for us because it gives us something to look forward to night after night other than a regular month scene, regular season game. And, well, you mentioned a very important aspect. You know, obviously, if you're a top echelon player in the NBA, you can scoff at $500,000. But there are people on that roster where $500,000, that, oh, yeah. that's big for them. Oh, yeah. They're not making a ton of money. You know, them, they might be making two or three million a year. So $500,000 is 20% of what they're currently making. Oh, so yeah. for some of those guys out there, you know, that aren't making millions and millions of dollars, this money is not life changing, but it's something they want. It's something they could oh, yeah. use and benefit from. So to your point, you know, as these games kind of wear on, you might see maybe not a LeBron or a Steph or a Clay mm -hmm. or someone who's making, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. You might get a little more of a performance out of some of your smaller role players yep. because they're like, hey, I, I, I need the small bag. Give, give me the small bag. I could use that small bag. And people forget these players are grown men with families. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every little, you know, particularly if you're a fringe player, six man, something like that, bottom of the bench type of player, you can go in and you can come in here, get some minutes. And if your team gets on that good lucky roll, extra bag for you. Or if you're like Draymond Green, you could take that 500000 to pay off your fines. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
That is so true. That is so true. He got what was coming to him too the other night when he got. Oh, I saw that. Head. Yeah, yeah. Dray- Draymond got the Draymond treatment the other night Draymond when he got treatment. when he got kicked below the belt. Uh, gentlemen, you you may or may not know this, uh, but former NBA player Jamal Crawford he does an NBA mailbag uh, every week for nba.com and fans just write him in questions and he gives his takes and one of the questions that he was asked this previous week was he was asked to talk about the best backcourt currently in the nba and his response to that was without question it is luca and Kyrie." and you don't often hear Kyrie. In the, in the unless you're talking about individual talent, that's usually the conversation where you'll hear Kyrie's name kind of pushed to the top. If it's not one of those individual talent conversations, you don't usually hear Kyrie's name thrown around in the upper echelon of those rankings. So, well, where is he coming from with this? Is Luca or are Luca and Kyrie the best backcourt in the NBA right now? Man, no. <laughs> you win something at the backcourt. Until you win something and you prove yourself as a backcourt that can produce res- results, and I know I'm gonna get the, the tail end of this, but I'm gonna go on and say it. I'm still looking at Stephen Clay. Until you go out there and perform and win championships as a backcourt, I don't agree with Jamal Crawford because as a backcourt, Luca and Kyrie hasn't won anything together. Mo, is that your best backcourt, Luca and Kyrie? So. The question was, who's the best backcourt in the NBA right now? Right, yes. not not the most accomplished. So yep. it 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 actually is Luca and Kyrie. the The Mavericks are six and one. Uh, they're a top five offense. They're a middle of road defense. But for what they do, being a middle of the road defense makes them a better foot a basketball team. They're six and one, and Luca's giving you thirty one nine and nine. Kyrie's giving you twenty and nine assists. Your backcourt is giving you over 50 points and basically 18 assists a game in your winning basketball games. And if you've watched the, the Mavs play, and I've watched a few of their games, Kyrie is really committed to being more of a playmaker. I think he's finally realized it's not me and Luka, it's Luka, and I'm the sidekick, and he's embraced that, and he's be- become more of a playmaker. If he continues on the pace that he's at, this is a career high for him. He's never averaged this many assists per game. So right now today in terms of production and and they're winning it's it, it I think Jamal Crawford is spot on they're the best backcourt right now in the NBA. And will Mo mentioned the hot start by the Dallas Mavericks. Is this something and it's only 7 games and I know you know we can only judge on what we've seen. Is this something that you think is sustainable because the Mavs last year were a trendy pick to make the playoffs and things kind of went off the rails towards the end. And then the narrative coming in this season, once they re-sign Kyrie, is that this is a dumpster fire. Uh, yeah, they're going to have nights where they score a lot of points, but they're going to play zero defense, and they're going to get rolled by any team that is decent offensively and decent defensively. And through seven games, like Mo said, they they look pretty good. But do you think this is something that is sustainable throughout the entire season? Well, first of all, I do want to say I think Luke and Kyrie have the, be- the best potential out there in terms of a backcourt for everything that they can do. So I think they have the best potential. Um, I still don't think they're the best backcourt today, but they do have the potential to be that at some point. Um, as far as your questions, I don't I don't think this is very sustain- sustainable because, you know, I think Charles Barkley said this the best. The bad teams don't know they're bad yet. 
the season is still young. And, you know, the bad teams can come out good, can catch a house of fire early. But as we've seen in NBA season, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you have to constantly perform night after night after night. And between their defensive deficiencies, I just don't think this is sustainable. They might continue to do well as individuals, but team-wise, I think that's where they fail. So I, I and I think Will makes a great point. Um, it is early in the season, and usually in an NBA season, you need about twenty to twenty-five games to say this is who we are, right? Unless you have a rash of injuries, but if if you're one hundred percent healthy, twenty-five games into the season, this is a it's a better sample size of what the team is. So I I don't know that the Mavs can sustain what they're doing because these two guys make a lot of tough shots. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I I'll concede that. But I will say, when you look at the Western Conference, once you get past the Nuggets, who kind of are, are cut above everybody else, I would say you could literally put the Mavs right beside the Lakers. You could put the Mavs right beside the Suns. The Suns don't defend at a high level. Um, hell, they, they can barely stay healthy enough to defend anyway. But but so I I, I would say the Mavs the Mavs are every yep. good as bit as good as Phoenix is. So I so in the bigger picture, are they a a title contender? I wouldn't go that far. But I think they're a lot playoff contender. They well, be, what where, where would you see them? Eight, seventh? No, I, I think they're they're a top sixteen. They're top okay. sixteen. Okay. Well, before we get you out of here, tell us one thing from the start of the NBA season that has stood out for you, sir. And there's a lot, lots to choose from. Put you on the spot. Give me the one. The one thing that continued to amaze me is the way Wimbiana is playing. Oh my goodness. This oh, yeah. man is coming to improve. He is the real deal, the truth. Another thing that sort of kind of shocked me because I remember, and I, and I got to eat crow on this one. I've always said Pop wasn't a good coach toward young players. Um, I always thought the way he coached was better for veteran style players uh, with that military style of coaching that he does. Um, he's proven me completely wrong. This man has gone out there and turned Wimby loose. And that's the best thing he could have ever done for the Spurs. Um, that He's getting it done. And oh my goodness, it the media... I thought the media was kind of like, how can I put this? Overhyping him as a, as the best player since LeBron James. But uh, from what you're seeing right now, and again, the season's young, but from what you're seeing right now, he's being up to that expectation. So shout out to Wimby. Well, always a pleasure to have you on every Wednesday, Appreciate bringing you, your NBA insights. Thank you so much, sir. And we'll see you next time. Thank you guys. I'll see you next week. Take care now. Good one, Will. Well, always a pleasure to have Will on the show dropping his NBA always. knowledge on us. And like he said, Wemby is really, I mean, we all thought he was going to be great, but you know how that works, Mo. You got people coming out who get the, the hype put on them, who get the expectations put on them. They're good, but they're not necessarily great. Some of the things he does on the floor for his size, you just look at it and you're like, how is he doing that? I'm, I'm just in awe of his agility. When you watch him move and how fluid he is, when he cuts, when he runs, I keep saying this, he moves like a guy that's six, 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 seven. And and that's amazing when you consider his length. He's wiry. Very my very, fa- very my very. favorite quote from the movie The Replacements, the kicker. He's wiry. Wiry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. Mo. When we come back, we are gonna have the NFL genius on with us. It is Gene from Wire Gene. to Wire. He's going to be on to talk all things NFL. We're going to talk a little New York Jets. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers for the first time 
giving us like an, an honest look at what could be the future. And we're going to talk a little Carson Wentz because he's in the news once again. So why not? Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to get all of that. Get to all of that on the other side of this break. Keep it right here. It's Coffee and Sports. It's the morning show on Sports Empire Network. What's up, everybody? It's Control Simpson with Wire to Wire Sports Podcast, where we're going to cover all things breaking news, sports related. We're going to preview games, and we're also going to give you our reaction to the games that have happened before. You can catch us on Wednesdays from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And if you miss us there, no worries. You can also catch us on Roku with Northeast Streaming Sports Productions from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Hey, and listen, if you're not in all sports and just NFL, we have Sideline to Sideline. That's on Thursday nights from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 8 p.m. We'll break down the NFL week, the Thursday night game, and we'll preview all NFL action. And if you're like me and college football is your fix, tune in every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. for Coast to Coast College Football Pregame Show. We'll review the previous week's action, the day's biggest games. We'll give you our pick and we'll even give you some teams that are on upset alert. And if you don't catch us live, you can download us on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We do also have a YouTube station, Wire to Wire Sports Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back. It is Coffee and Sports. It is the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. And we are joined now by the NFL genius himself, Gene from Wire to Wire. Gene, how are you this morning, sir? Phenomenal. I'm phenomenal. My Eagles are 8-1. Want a bye week, get to relax, get healthy, and prepare for our um, Super Bowl revenge rematch. Gene, earlier today we, we talked about a touching NFL moment, and the Eagles had their own touching NFL moment uh, when Coach Nick Sirianni was at the podium and his daughter interrupted him to talk about their their bye week plans. Uh, it, it's just it's nice to see these little moments in sports where it kind of takes you out of you know judging people and saying who's great and who's not great, and you see the real moments for these coaches and these players. And Gene, this morning, Jets fans are up in arms be defending Zach Wilson uh, because according to them, Zach Wilson is a good enough quarterback to lead this team to where they need to go. And the issue is not Zach Wilson. The issue is the fact that four of their five starters on the offensive line are injured and they already had an average offensive line, according to them coming into the season. So when you take an average offensive line and then you take away four of the starters and you put in four backup players, their response is, no quarterback could do anything behind this offensive line because Zach just doesn't have enough time to throw the goddamn ball. Now, our listeners have heard me and Mo talk about Zach Wilson on a regular basis here on Coffee and Sports. So let's get the NFL geniuses' perspective on it. Is it a offensive line issue more than it is a Zach Wilson issue? Well, let me start by asking you a question back. Has there been one game this NFL season where you looked at Zach Wilson and was like, Man, he's a very good quarterback. One of them, just one. No, <laughs> not one. So, like, I don't want, I'm not blaming the offensive line. He's played 20 NFL games as a quarterback, and he's not looked like a good quarterback in one of them. It's not the offensive line's issue, it's Zach Wilson. He's scared to throw interceptions, so he's holding the ball and he gets sacked. He's on every third down, if you watch the Jets play, he has so many ridiculous sacks because he'll throw a pick or he'll turn the ball over early and he'll be so scared to do that. And I think Robert Sala has pretty much like beaten it into his head. Like our defense and running game can win this game. Just don't turn it over, Zach. Instead of allowing the kid to play quarterback, like he's playing 
not to lose as opposed to playing to win. I think that the New York Jets, I'll put it to you this way, right? When I watch that football team, I see a Super Bowl champion if they had an elite quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. I All the predictions that I made on the New York Jets with Aaron Rodgers this season would have been true if Aaron Rodgers was back there because that defense might be the best defense in football. Their special teams unit, top five in football. Their skill position players are not terrible. Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook, they're, but they're all being wasted because a quarterback that cannot run the offense. Now, some of this, not all of it, but some of this has to be on Nathaniel Hackett, right? You know what you have back there. You have to figure out ways. It's not hard for a guy that has ridiculous arm strength to throw a go route. You can do that, right? Drop back five steps, throw a go route. I don't care if Miko Hardman's not on the team anymore. It's to Garrett Wilson. I don't care who you're throwing the go route to. Get them off the line of scrimmage so you can run the football. It's it's embarrassing to watch. I've watched almost every Jet game this year. I'm in love with Robert Sala as a head coach. Really love him as a, um, a person who inspires men. His speech on hard knocks about conquerors and commanders and competitors was incredible to me. But to answer your question, it's offensive line's not good, but it's not an offensive line issue. They're not the first team to have offensive line issues. Zach Wilson is terrible. And it's a shame on the New York Jets for the moment that Aaron Rodgers went out for them to not, they had time. They were 1-0. They could have brought in a contingency option. I, you look at what the Rams did, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but Stafford's hurt. Their backup quarterback stinks. We're going to bring in Carson Wentz. We're going to try that. Why couldn't the Jets do that in week one? And to your point, I mean, that it, it may not work for the Rams, and we will. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the Rams knew what Zach Wilson – it's not like Zach Wilson was an unproven rookie quarterback who they're like, well, we might as well give him the, the rub to see what he is. They had Zach Wilson for two seasons previously. And in those two previous seasons, granted, he didn't play full seasons, but Zach Wilson showed you what the full season, almost full season he played in the half a season he played was that he is the worst quarterback statistically in the NFL, both of those seasons. And you say you're going to run with him. And, you know, we talked about it here on the morning show, like, while well, they trying to tank a little bit, have their cake and eat it too. They thought they weren't going to have a first round pick because Rodgers was going to play for them. And now they will probably have the first round pick because Rodgers isn't going to play. But then they started winning a little bit. And you're like, well, if the defense is going to be this elite, they're definitely going to bring a quarterback in here within a couple of weeks because they're going to realize, hey, playoffs are still a thing. A playoff push is still a thing. The locker room is galvanizing around Zach Wilson. You saw how he was supported on the sidelines after the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, where he played decent. I wouldn't say good, but he played decent. He played well enough to potentially win that game up until the last drive where he Zach Wilsoned it. And they didn't go and do that. And now, Gene, we have a situation where the locker room is starting to turn again. After the game Monday night, and this is very, very much out there, which means the players want it out there. The, his, the players you just mentioned, Wilson, Hall, the tight end, Conklin, they all were very vocal about, especially Garrett Wilson, 
about how it's inexcusable what they're doing on offense and how it's embarrassing. This is what uh, Wilson said. He said it's embarrassing that I have to walk off the field after a three and out and look my defense in the eyes. And I'm friends with those dogs. I have to look them in the eye knowing the situation that I just put them in again. And he's saying I, like, like it's all him. Like, Wilson, I appreciate you taking that chip, but it's not you. You're not the one out there that's causing the three and outs, all right? I know that you had a, a fumble and you had a dry, whatever, whatever. You're not the issue. You're not the problem. It's not you. Put your damn hand down. But now you have Wilson and Hall and Conklin and your offensive weapons going out there and saying that. And, Mo, I'm, I'm going to start with you first. Once the locker room turns, how long can Zach Wilson stay quarterback? We saw what happened last season when the locker room turned. They benched him. But who are they going to bench him for? I don't even know who the backup quarterback for the New York Jets is right now. And and that's the issue, right? And Robert Sala has propped him up so much. Uh, I don't think there's a better option on that roster. And that's that's saying something when there's not a better option than Zach Wilson. Um, it's it's frustrating. And to to what get to what Garrett to what Garrett Wilson said. I get what he's saying, right? He's saying I, but I feel like if you read between the lines, he's really saying that guy, right? <laughs> he's saying that, that that guy because Garrett Wilson is a stud. Like he, he easily is a 12 to 1500 yard receiver. Like he's that kind of talent. Brees Hall's a 1500 yard back. There has to be growing frustration. There has to be. That defense is one of the best, if not the best defense in all of football and they're hamstrung because their offense goes three and out, three and out, three and out, or he turns the ball over. Um, I, I think Gene made a great point. It's beat into his head so much not to turn it over. He's holding the ball. No quarterback should hold the ball six, seven seconds. You're going down. You're going to get sacked. He, I, I, he looks like a quarterback that's been in the league 13 years and has been battered on because he's seeing the rush, and he's just really ready to collapse. And that's a sign that that he's giving in. And as great a coach as Salah is, I don't know how much longer he can prop this guy up. Gene, I, I know we're past the trade deadline and the Jets, and it's their own fault, let's be honest. Um, but the, the Jets are really handcuffed right now when it comes to the quarterback position. It looks like the backup is Trevor Simeon. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that Trevor Simeon is a huge upgrade over Zach Wilson, but I'm going to say that anything right now, is an upgrade over Zach Wilson. He's not scoring points. He's not moving the football. He's not doing anything to help the offense. So, Gene, I know that's and it's it's tough because Salah, like Mo said, has propped this kid up interview after interview, press conference after press conference, to the point where it almost makes him look bad if he goes back on his like he what does he do at this point? Do you go to Simeon and you go back on your word? Do you just ride Zach Wilson out like you said you were going to? You can't risk losing the locker room. It feels like the locker room is teetering right now. So at what point do you put the team over your eight weeks of praising whatever you were praising for Zach Wilson? So the one thing I wanted to point out, and the Minnesota Vikings were 4-4 four and four last week. They were 4-4. Four and four. Kirk Cousins towards Achilles. They took two days and traded a sixth-round draft pick and got back a seven. So he really didn't trade anything mm -hmm. and got Joshua Dobbs, who went in and won a football game without even knowing his teammates' names. Yes, that's amazing. Yep. So the Jets did this to themselves. I think their backup's Tim Boyle. 
like Trevor Simeon, Tim Boyle. I don't Colin Kaepernick, grab somebody. I don't care who it is. Bring him in to play football. Can't be worse than this. Let them throw the football. Let them run an offense. If he turns the ball over, it's it's just as bad as going three and out, first down, one-yard run, second down, incomplete pass, third down, sack, fourth and 17, and you're punting the ball away. That is a world-class defense. The Jets did this to themselves. They Robert Sala kept trying to put faith in Zach Wilson. And listen, I love him. He has faith in his guys. It's not the guy, right? He's shown you he's not the guy. The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. He's just not the guy. And when you look at that Jets team, it's it's almost sad. Like the Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles. His first words to Garrett Wilson were, sorry, kid. Yeah. Like you were about to have a historic a season. season right. Yep. And now you're right. basically going to be subjugated to being not a top 15, not a top 20 wide receiver. When his talent's there, he's shown you his talent there. I, If I was the Jets, I'd bring in a quarterback yesterday. I would have brought him in two weeks ago. I would have brought him in a month ago. But who knows what the Jets are going to do? They seem like they're – and with Aaron Rodgers' conversation about him coming back from his Achilles tear, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. They're not going to win football games. So, yeah, I would, they already lost the locker room. They lost it earlier this year, too, right before that Chiefs game. And Robert Sala, the rallying cry, and they had a – what was that called? Uh, a moral victory versus yep, Kansas moral City? moral victory. <laughs> I don't Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, he lit the NFL world on fire this week after the Chargers game when he told Derwin James a few weeks uh, in their post-game interaction on the field, uh, the hot mic picked it up. And then it started trending. Aaron Rodgers back in a few weeks. And we all know if you're going to analyze what a few means, a couple is two. So a few is going to usually be somewhere around three or four. So now the NFL world was, well, he's coming back in three or four games. Let's look at the schedule. The Jets got the Raiders next. That could potentially be a winnable game on just their defense. Now they're five and four. Even if they lose to both the Bills and the Dolphins, they're one game under 500 with Aaron Rodgers coming back potentially. So, of course, Aaron Rodgers goes on the Pat McAfee show, and he has to bring that back a little bit and have, uh, Gene, what I think was the most realistic and honest conversation he's had since this injury, which was it's not going to be a few weeks. He's not ready to play football. Uh, he was throwing the football around, and he says he was throwing the football around to relieve stress. I'm, I'm sure we know why he was out there throwing darts around on the sidelines, just reminding people who he is. He's better than Zach Wilson. But if he wants to say he was relieving stress, that's fine. But Gene, I, I like the clarity that Aaron, he doesn't do this a lot, but I like the clarity that Aaron Rodgers brought to the situation. And it's a little somber if you're a Jets fan, because he really did pop that bubble, but he was very forthright in saying it's, I misspoke. It's not going to be a few weeks. Um, an Achilles really is, an eight to 12 week window for a proper healing. And he goes, I'm, I'm doing great. He goes, but it really is going to be 12 weeks to properly heal. And now you're looking at that and you're like, Oh, if it's really 12 weeks and then he, he needs to ramp up after that, he really isn't going to be coming back this season. And if he does, it would be for the last game or two, which they're not going to put him in there when the jets are already out of the playoff picture. So Gene, what, what, what are your takeaways from Aaron's comments um, do you think it benefits the fan base just to kind of be like, listen, guys, I want to be out there, 
but it's it's probably not happening. It's he basically stopped short of saying that. You know, after watching Hard Knocks this year, I've really found an appreciation for Aaron Rodgers. You didn't get really to see that in in Green Bay, and he was vilified for a lot of things, mainly by his own accord. A lot of things that he said that were pretty stupid in the past, but I really like hearing him talk. I like hearing him talk on McAfee. I like his attitude towards. I like the what he's brought as far as leadership to the Jets. The one thing I didn't like is you have a quarterback in there. You're trying to fight to survive your season, and you keep teasing people about you coming back instead of showing support to the the team that's there. Right, that's your job right now. It's not it's not to to give them teasers of, of when you're going to come back. If you can come back by week 16, 17, and they're a game or two out of the playoffs, fine. But he was never going to come back this year, guys. It's a torn Achilles. He's 40 years old. Like, do we realize how bad of an injury a torn Achilles tendon is? It's, you can't come back from that. At, at 25, you shouldn't be able to come back from that, let alone 40. He's out of his mind. And, and then you're going to throw him back there behind an offensive line, missing four out of five starters, and have him scramble around? <laughs> Get out of here. Prepare for next year, Jets. I love I love the the culture that Robert Sala is building, and I really want to see what they turn into next year. But Aaron Rodgers needs to kind of. I'm glad that he walked it back on Pat McAfee. I'm glad that he set expectations the right way because it's the only realistic way. If anybody thought he was coming back in two weeks, like I got oceanfront property, I could sell you in Idaho. It's, <laughs> it's not real. Like it's an Achilles tear. Ah. Uh, and Gene, to your point, I mean, another offseason, uh, free agency se- season to go through and add pieces to this team, you know, more pieces to put around Rodgers, more things to kind of tweak, um, address the the line the best you can in the offseason in the draft. I mean, the Jets have, and I know it sucks. I get it. Like this season was supposed to be the season where they made the noise, but it, it didn't work out that way. Now you have an entire offseason to go through. You have Aaron Rodgers. Let's be honest. There was a point. You know, last offseason where we didn't know if this deal was going to get done. We thought it was going to get done, but we, we didn't really know. And it was done late later on in the offseason and, and things kind of got fast forward real quick. Now you have an entire offseason program to go through with Rodgers. You have the chance to add more pieces around him and really put forth the best version of this New York Jets football team for Aaron Rodgers coming off the Achilles injury. And who knows what could be his final season in the NFL. We don't know, depending on how next season goes. So it sucks. You want to bet, to... You want to bet that they had a backup quarterback this offseason? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Priority priority one. That's not Zach Wilson? <laughs> no. It's not I'll one. bet you that they added a backup quarterback that's capable this offseason. Is Zach, Zach Wilson, Wilson a Jet next season? No. Absolutely not. They're getting is he on a team next season? Probably will be on a, a as a backup. Listen, in the NFL, people that have arm talent, offensive coordinators think they can fix them. You sure. listen to what Kyle Shanahan said about Sam Darnold. <laughs> he's failed in New York, he's failed in Carolina, but he's Steve Young in San Francisco. He is Steve Young. <laughs> what do we talk? So anybody that has arm talent in the NFL will have a job if they're not like a crazy person like Carson Wentz is like mentally like nuts. So he should have a job in the NFL next year. And look, I'll just point to Carson Wentz. He's went to two organizations, both three organizations, all three locker rooms absolutely hated him. And he's in a fourth locker room. So yes, the answer is 
he will be on a team next year. He'll be a backup quarterback. He'll be a project for some young offensive coordinator that thinks they can get the most out of Zach Wilson. And then you're going to hear comparisons to what? Brett Favre, you know? Yeah. He's, he's Brett Favre. It reminds me of Brett Favre. Like, that's what's going to happen. Speaking of egos, there might not be any bigger ego in the NFL than that of Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. And the Cowboys flex the eagle muscle this week when – they signed Marta. I know you, you. You may not remember this name. Uh, when they signed Martavius Bryant uh, to a contract, uh, Martavius Bryant has been out of the league for some time now. Uh, he has 44 career NFL games in which he's amassed just over 2,000 yards receiving and 17 touchdowns. He has played for the Steelers, I believe. He played for the Raiders last in the NFL, I believe. Uh, Mo, what do you make of the Cowboys kind of going? deep into the bag of tricks, if you will. Because I, I think it's fair to say that Martavius Bryant wasn't on the uh, the radar of many teams. And if he was, it wasn't on the radar in the sense of, hey, we should sign this guy and bring him in. Uh, but the Cowboys pulled the trigger, Mo. So what are you thinking? I think they're reaching. And, and you know what? It's it's low risk, high reward if they get something out of them. But but look at their, look at their receiving core. CeeDee Lamb's killing it. But the second receiver, Michael, Michael Gallup, he has less than 300 receiving yards. The third receiver, Brandon Cooks, he has less than 200 receiving yards. They, they don't have a lot of balance offensively. Their, their next best passing or, or receiving threat is their tight end. Uh, the other receivers do nothing. They brought Brandon Cooks in. And the one thing Brandon Cooks does well, anybody has ever seen Brandon Cooks play, he runs go routes, he runs crossing routes because he has that kind of speed, and they don't use him that way. He's only averaging nine yards a catch. So when I see this move, why not? He's Mark Tavius Bryant, I think he's 6'4", about 215, 210. He gives you a bigger receiver, a bigger target, because right now the other guys aren't getting it done. Gene, is this a quality football move, or is this Jerry Jones saying, I'm going to take something that nobody wanted, I'm going to shine it up the cowboy way, and then I'm going to tell you how great I am if the move pays off. And if it doesn't pay off, you're not going to kill me because no one thought I should do it anyways. So right. no shine is going to come off Jerry for this. But if it works, Jerry's going to look like a genius. I think it's a bad fit move, if I'm being completely honest. I don't think it's supposed to be like a look at me move. I think that he's seen no production out of Brandon Cooks, which was supposed to be their specialist that can stretch – the field, but I don't think that's what Dallas's offense is built to do. When you think Dak Prescott, do you think Russell Wilson deep ball? Do you think Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes deep ball, Josh Allen? It's not who he is, right? He's he was a fourth round grade for a reason. He's a good quarterback at throwing across the middle of the field. He can hit post. He can extend the plays, but he's not a great deep ball thrower. He's never been one. So when you look at the move for Martavius Bryant, it's just a bad fit. Martavius Bryant's a tall, fast receiver that can run go routes. That's not, that was never a good route runner ever in his college career or NFL career. That is, I don't think he's, I guess the best thing you can hope for out of him is he gives you a couple X plays in moments of broken down plays. But the one thing I kind of wanted to allude to when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, we all seen that Cowboys Eagles game, right? One of the best football games this past Sunday. What I want to allude that nobody is talking about, zero people, first and goal from the six-yard line, Dak Prescott dropped back and was going to run a QB draw with no timeouts left, 
and the false start penalty actually helped them. And no one remembers the play call. They're like, oh, they had a false start, and then they took a sack. If you watch that play call, it was a QB draw with no timeouts left. He was wrapped up by the time they blew the whistle. It was. It's not about the receivers that get brought in. It's about when the moment gets big. McCarthy has terrible clock management. He's one of the worst I've ever seen at it. And Dak Prescott comes up small when the moment gets big every time. He played great for 59 minutes and 30 seconds. He did. And, Gene, there comes a point where it, there's too much to overcome. So if you look at the, the Dallas Cowboys offseason, they lose their offensive coordinator, who is renowned as one of the best offensive coordinators in the league. He leaves. They lose his security blanket in Dalton Schultz. And I know that he's he's been up and down in Houston, but in Dallas, he was Dak's go-to guy when things started to break down. They lose Ezekiel Elliott. You can say what you want about Zeke and what they were paying him and how he was wearing down. But again, that was another comfort, and it was a power back. And let's be honest, if you're looking at what the Dallas running game looks like, Tony Pollard is not a power back. They would love to have a power back like a Zeke or a King Henry there right now because I think it would help the offense tremendously. Then you give play calling to a man who has a history of not being great at play calling, combined with the fact that he has a history of not being good with time management. And now he's doing both at the same time. He's calling plays and he's managing the time and you all expect him to do it cohesively. And then you get things like you just pointed out, Gene, there comes a point and Dak Prescott's getting older. He doesn't run the ball as much as he did in his first couple of years in the league. He didn't run it a lot. He was never a Lamar Jackson, but he was mobile enough to make plays when he needed to. Now he's become more of a pocket passer. So he needs to do things like read defenses more, be accurate more. He needs timing on his routes to be there more precisely because he's not making off script plays. Doesn't there come a point, Gene, where there's so much drip, 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 drip going on with the Dallas Cowboys that th this is what was going to happen? You can't just expect things to start going flawlessly when you're taking away pieces from him and you're not replacing them and you're having people who shouldn't be calling plays calling plays. Like there comes a point where when are the Cowboys going to be honest with themselves and fix the actual issues with the team? Well, the thing you brought up about the running back is the most significant part. I think their tight end room is better without Dalton Schultz. They have Jake Ferguson, Luke Schoenmacher, who I, I loved coming out of college. He had a great catch contested at that half-yard line. I think the Ezekiel Elliott point is the biggest one, right? Like, he's broken down. You didn't need to bring Ezekiel Elliott back, but you could have got Leonard Fournette for a bag of Doritos, like nacho cheese. You didn't have to give up much <laughs> to bring in a very comparable power back that could be a thunder and lightning change of pace back with Tony Pollard. But they didn't do that. What they did was they tried to deuce Vaughn and, and bring in rookie running backs that just don't have it. Tony Pollard's not a bell cow. Never will be, never was. Agreed. I think that the McCarthy play calling and time management is, is the biggest fault flaw of this Cowboys team because they're great front runners. When they get up, that defense is opportunist, opportunistic. They jump routes. They turn the football over. But they're not good from coming from behind. They're not. And the reason they're not good at coming from behind is because you heard on the broadcast. They're saying it over and over and over again. Why aren't they playing with more urgency? What happens if they need two drives? They're let, they took a delay of game penalty. Like, how do you take that on the last drive of the game? 
it, it's embarrassing to watch, and I'm happy. It ha- it makes me happy as an Eagle fan <laughs> to watch that. I, I I soak in that, but it 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 makes me feel better as an Eagle fan to know that the incompetence is there in Dallas. Mo, earlier this offseason, Carson Wentz posted a social media <clears throat> photograph of him wearing all, wearing the gear from all of the previous teams that he quarterbacked. Uh, it was kind of his own campaign to let teams know that he is still out there. His services are still available if you want him. At the time, nobody bit on that. Uh, there were rumors that maybe the Jets would look into him. It was actually rumored that he called the Jets uh, to offer his services after Aaron Rodgers went down. Clearly, they passed on that if that ended up being the case. But now, the man is back in the league. Matthew Stafford goes down. He has the finger injury. And let's be honest, like Gene said earlier, the Rams realized our backup quarterback is not cutting it. Uh, We think that if we put something together, we can be sustainable and make a playoff push. Maybe not be a championship team, but be in the playoff conversation. So let's at least see if we can do that. Because it's not going to be with this guy. So let's bring someone else in, Mo, and that's what they did. So they bring him in to the Rams, and if you've seen any of the the memes and the uh, stories on Twitter about the the full circle journey of where Goff and Wentz were drafted and replacing Stafford in their careers and all this stuff, it's interesting how those things line up. But now that he's on the team, let's look at the X's and O's of it, Mo. He wasn't, like Gene said, locker room, he's terrible. People don't like him. He doesn't bring locker rooms together. He is not a leader of men. That We're not going to ignore that part. That's a huge part of this. If you just look at production, yes, the last two games in Indy, he pooped to bed. He did not play well. But overall in Indy, he had a good season. His stats weren't terrible. Um, again, when you need him the most, he, he's not there more often than he is there. So I'm not going to defend him for that. But they only need him to get through a handful of games until Matthew Stafford can come back healthy. So, Mo, can he be a guy that over the next four games he can go two and two or three and one or whatever the case might be and not lose every game until Matthew Stafford comes back? So I'm going to bite on your word or your question. Can he be a guy? Absolutely. And, And Gene put it out there for everybody to know. He's right. He's an arm talent. He's still an arm talent. The, the, the guy has he's gifted physically, but he's also a bit of a turnover machine. So can he do it? Sure. They've got a lot of talent on the outside when you look at that receiving core. But I will say this, that offensive line is not a secret. It's, it's not very good. And it's one of the reasons Matthew Stafford stayed battered. Carson Wentz is the kind of guy that when he's pressured, he will throw God awful interceptions. So can he be the guy? Yeah, he could be. I, I would just say he's their best chance. I don't think he's going to play that great. Gene, give us the, the the real, give us the truth. Give Rams fans the truth. They're feeling optimistic. They saw the backup play terrible. Here comes Wentz. What's the truth? What's he really going to do? I mean, it depends on his mentality, his mindset. I think if, if I'm being completely honest, I think he can go in and take the job. Like I'm, his arm talent's there, and with McVay is – an offensive mind, he can take the job and Stafford can sit on IR. I think they can win a lot of games. Carson Wentz has two fatal flaws, fatal flaws. Number one, he plays way too much hero ball. He tries to make things that aren't there. He's the exact opposite of what Zach Wilson's playing. The second one, and this is really controversial, and I'm not, I know this isn't a political platform or a political show, 
But the second one is his locker room antics because he's so Bible Belt conservative, anti-vaxxer, and it doesn't sit well with a lot of his teammates. The the Jesus Christ comments and, and all the things that he brings up in the locker room turn a lot of guys off. They're there to win football games and play football. It, it's very Tim Tebow-esque in the way he That's just – his attitude – um, and a lot of guys don't want to play with him, and that's his problem. He doesn't put the time in to build relationships with the people that he needs to build with. In that locker room, people are family. It, and you got to think about this, right? Why is John Gruden not in the league? Because he said some really racist, scummy comments through an email. Who was Carson Wentz working out with this whole offseason? John Gruden. I, I'm not – it's just bad choices, guys. Like, I'm not I, – I don't care what side of the fence you're on. But if you have a guy who got kicked out of the NFL for racist comments and that's the guy you're training with this offseason when 67% of the NFL is African-American, I don't know, man. It's just – it seems to me like he's not well here in his head. So, yeah, I think for a small stretch – he could be a good quarterback. If I'm being honest, though, it won't last. And if they're in a game where they need to, where they're down three and they need a drive, he'll throw an interception. He'll give the ball to the other team by not taking what the defense is giving them. Gene, obviously the uh, the Eagles are on their uh, Eagles are on a bye this week, right? Yes, sir. So what are you watching this week with no Eagles playing? I've so first of all, I have NFL Plus. I watch the all twenty-two. <laughs> I watch every game. I'm an absolute sicko. But you um, get multiple TVs on. I have two. I have two TVs in the living room. Um, and I watch every football game. I'll have red zone on one, and then I'll have another game on the other TV. And it's just fun for me to keep up with the NFL. I don't care if it's Bears versus Panthers. I'm watching it. So I'll be yeah. I'll be tuned in. He's tuned in. He's all in. Speaking of the Bears, uh, former Bears linebacker who is now with the Baltimore Ravens, he threw some shade at the Bears this week, talking about how now he is happy to actually be on a contender. Mo, is there a need to rub it in? I mean, you're there because they let you go there. <laughs> right, right. So they didn't think you were part of their solution either, though, right? Right. So right. I, look, look, it's a young team, and I – I'm going to say this. I, I, I get frustrated, even though I, I, I judge you off of what I see. I think that's how we all take it when we analyze stuff. The piling on of fields is it's heavy. The young man has struggled, but he's not struggling alone. And he's not the reason why they have the record that they have. I just think that he's he's kind of getting the Zach Wilson treatment and he's not Zach Wilson, if that makes any sense. Yeah, he, he is head and shoulders better than Zach Wilson. If anyone thinks that he is not better than Zach Wilson, you are not watching football. Chris, your head and shoulders above Zach Wilson. I wouldn't go that far. Zach Wilson, <laughs> he throws a pretty deep ball. It's not an accurate deep ball, but it's a pretty-looking deep ball, guys. Listen, he had, he had that one combine video. That's how he got the Jets job, so good for him. Gentlemen, appreciate having you both here this morning. Uh, Gene, love having you here on Wednesdays. Appreciate you, Gene. Mo, it's always a pleasure with you, sir. No doubt. It's all family here on Sports Empire Network. Love it. Mo, close us out. Uh, hey, thanks for everybody that's in the chat supporting us. Thanks for everybody that's watching us live. Appreciate everybody that will watch us later. Check out all the content we got on Sports Empire Network. Check out the Empire.
Make sure you're back here. Same time, same place tomorrow. We're going to be breaking down some Thursday night football here on Coffee and Sports. It's the morning show. We'll see you tomorrow morning. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this oh, Already, I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn. Hey, guess it is.